We're in um, Acts chapter 2. So we're following through in an Acts, as you hopefully know, over the spring and the summer. Um, and we're at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. <clears throat> so I'm going to read that. So it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Parphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven and above. I will show wonders in the heaven above and on signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <clears throat> so we know from the New Testament, it's clear from the New Testament, from the Gospels, from the rest of the New Testament, that the teaching of, of Jesus and the, the message of the Gospels uh, was, in the main, uh, disliked by everybody, really. Um, but Jesus warned his disciples on, on the last day uh, before... Um, he was crucified, he said this, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, as you go through Acts, because I won't be here, uh, this is emphasised over and over again. Um, it's not long when you get into Acts that Peter and John are arrested, and when you get to Acts chapter 5, we read that all the apostles were arrested and put in the public jail. Stephen became the first martyr in Acts chapter 8. James is the first apostle that is uh, killed by the authorities in Acts chapter 12. Uh, you're not going to get to Paul, Paul's journeys. You'll get to Paul's conversion, but Paul had his journeys from Acts 13 onwards. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes there about how he was you know, stoned and beaten with rods and, and all the different things that happened to him as he was persecuted for sharing the gospel. And here we are, we're 2,000 years later, 2022, 
And in our world today, there are still people who are physically persecuted for sharing the gospel, for believing in Jesus. People are still put in jail. People are still being flogged and, and, and hurt because of their love of the gospel. The world, the world that we live in has always been hostile to the message of the gospel that Jesus gave us. But on the other hand, as we've seen recently, Jesus told us to go and make disciples. Jesus told us to go and be witnesses. It's not a choice. Jesus didn't give you a choice to go and make disciples. Jesus didn't give you a choice to be a witness. It's a command from him to go and do that if you're a Christian. But because we know that the world is hostile to the gospel, and in reality, if we're all honest, we could all do without the trouble that Jesus spoke about on that night before he was crucified, we all tend to be quite shy of sharing the gospel if we were totally honest with ourselves. So how do we overcome that? Well, the church has devised lots of different courses, lots of different techniques about how you can share the gospel. But one thing the church can't do is help you overcome the fear factor. When we were doing the, the Passion for Life studies, we thought about crossing the pain line. How do you cross the pain line? How do you get over that line of trying to share the gospel with other people? And that factor exists within everybody, all of us. And I even suggest it existed in the early church. Last week we thought about the, the back end of, of chapter 1, uh, 10 days between the ascension of Jesus and Pentecost. And I said to you then that they met together regularly and they studied God's word and they prayed together. One thing you don't see at the end of chapter 1 of Acts, one thing we don't read about, is we don't read anywhere that the church went out to try and go and make disciples, did they, in those 10 days? They didn't do that, as far as we know. They met together, but they didn't do any evangelistic outreach. It wasn't until after Pentecost that the church went out to spread the gospel. And that's because Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power, you'll have power. Power for what? What kind of power? What will this power do? Jesus told us what this power would do. Because it's after that, he says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. So how do we overcome our fear of sharing the gospel? How did the early church overcome their fear of sharing the gospel? Not through courses not by techniques at all. They only did that through the power of the Holy Spirit as he came upon them on the day of Pentecost. And that's the story that the day of Pentecost has given to the church for the last 2,000 years. If you need power to reach out for Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit to give you that power, to be that witness. You must rely on the Holy Spirit, and only on him. He must work in our lives. We must have that work. We must know his presence. And what this message is today is all about, is about how we look for that more in our lives, how we become more fully filled, if you like, with his presence in our lives. So I have two points for you, and the first one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the, 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 the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, has received a lot of negative connotations maybe in the last 50 years or so. But that's exactly what happened 
on the day of Pentecost. Um, in Acts 1, verse 5, Jesus said this, For John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. You'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit, Jesus said. We're told, as I said last week at the end of Luke, that the early church, Luke says there was 120 of them, met regularly at the, at the temple. Uh, Pentecost was an important celebration for the Jews. It's one of the three festivals that they celebrated, main festivals that they celebrated during the year. Um, those festivals are detailed in, in Deuteronomy chapter 16. This festival then is designated the Feast of Weeks. It celebrated the, the gathering of the harvest. But uh, after the exile to Babylon and in the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it got this new name, Pentecost. That's because Greek became the, the trading language, as you're probably all aware of, uh, for, for the sort of Near East in those, word, in the, in those days. And the word uh, Pentecostus means 50th. And so a Jew was meant to count off seven, the, the day after seven weeks. So you have Passover, then you count off seven weeks, and then the day after that is when, Pen, uh, is when the, the Feast of Weeks started, and they therefore changed that to Pentecost after the, the Greek word, the 50th day. But the meaning of it is still found here. It was to celebrate the ingathering of the harvest. And we all, well, maybe you don't know, but when you get to the end of Acts 2, which you're going to at the end in a couple of weeks when uh, Jeff Higgins comes, you'll see when, the, when, when the, 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 the church grew from 120 to over 3,000 on this day. The harvest started to be gathered. As the, the Spirit came upon God's people and they started to, to speak out the gospel, then that great gathering of souls started for the church. It's still going on today. And Luke tells us that there were three signs that came as the Holy Spirit came on his church. So there they were. I would say they were gathering in the temple. You might disagree, but I'll tell you why I say that in a moment. They were gathering in the temple, as Luke tells us, the church, and then this, these three great signs came. Uh, we're told the first one was the sound of the blowing of a violent wind. So it wasn't a bl blowing wind per se, just the sound of the wind. Um, and it came, we're told, it filled, uh, they all together in one place, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now some people say, oh, that's a house house. I don't know how you get 120 people in a Jerusalem house, but there you go. Some people think you do. But... In the New Testament, the Greek word oikon is used frequently to, to describe the temple, the house of God in the New Testament. And that's what Luke writes here. They were in this house, and as far as I'm concerned, it's the temple. That's where they gathered. They would have been there for the Pentecost to celebrate that the, 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 they had to do that. And so they're there in the temple, and this sound comes and fills the whole temple with this noise. Um, in Job 38.1 and Ezekiel 37.9, this, this wind represents the power and presence of the Lord. And so this is what God is saying. God is coming to them by his spirit. He's revealing his presence. He's revealing his power to the early church. This sound is for them and for others as well. 
And then we're told they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Again, it's, it's not actual tongues of fire. This is just a, a, a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It was for them so that they could see that each one of them, all of them, every one of them would be filled with the Holy Spirit. This wasn't just for the, the, the 12, the apostles. This was for the whole church. The whole church were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this, this picture, this, this what seemed like tongues of fire, was a sign for them that God had come upon them. Again, uh, God appeared to Abraham and Moses in the Old Testament in something that was burning, a lamp for Abraham, a bush for Moses. When God led the people during the wilderness years, he led them by a pillar of fire, didn't he? It's his presence. But in the Old Testament, uh, fire also represents purification. You remember when Isaiah is crying out in the temple, the, the angel comes and, or the, the, comes and uh, the seraph comes and, and touches his lips with a, with a burning coal to signify purification. Fire is, represents the presence of God, but also the purification of God's people. And this came upon the church at that point as they gathered together. And then there's another sign, verse 4, all of them were filled, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And this was a sign, another sign for them, for the church. The Holy Spirit came in power. Now again, the word tongues has perhaps negative overtones in the church today, uh, but we're not talking about, you know, some people talk about different sort of special languages or something like that, but this is obviously not that. This is, this is languages that people could hear and understand. The people who gathered, this crowd that gathered, all, they all gather there, and in, in verse 11, uh, the second part of verse 11, they cry out, oops, we hear them, we hear them um, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We hear them declaring the wonders of God. We can hear what they're saying. We can understand what they're saying. They're speaking out the wonders of God. And this is important for us, isn't it? When you think about it. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they could do nothing but speak out the wonders of God. They had to speak out for God. They had to do that. Now we come to why they speak in, in other languages in, in, in our second point. But it's important to remember this. To speak out for God, we need God's Spirit to help us do that. In chapter 4, verse 31, we see a similar thing happening. After they prayed, so they once they're together again, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. How do we speak the word of God boldly? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Pentecost tells us. This is what the Bible is telling us. How do I get over the fear factor? I need, how do I speak God's word boldly? How do I speak it in, with clarity? How do I share my faith? With other people. Well, on your own, you can't do that. You're pretty rubbish. I'm rubbish. You're rubbish. We'll all do that. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. That's what we need. We need His baptism. We need His infilling to help us to do that. This is what happened for the church. They were filled, we're told, with the Holy Spirit. And they could do nothing but declare the wonders of God. So the Holy Spirit came on them and baptized them. And then secondly, this morning, our second point, we see the witness of the Holy Spirit. 
It was the, the Holy Spirit, as I say, who gave them this opportunity to witness. He gave them the power to do that. They weren't doing it by their, their own accord. They, they, they needed his power. He helped them to reveal who God is. And, and Luke tells us why it came in these different languages in verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So this was Pentecost. It was a, a feast, a festival. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 16 and 17, we're told this. Three times a year, this is what God said to his people, three times a year, all your men, all Jews, all Jewish men, must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. The festival of unleavened bread, that's Passover, the festival of weeks, or uh, Pentecost, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way your Lord, the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So Judaism has spread across the sort of Near East. You know, there'd been the exile. People had left uh, and, and had gone to different places. There were Jews in all these different places now in Europe and in North Africa and all the way down to Arabia and, and so on and, and across towards um, you know, still in, in Persia and places like that. There were still Jews. And every year when the festivals came, the Jews would, would come to Jerusalem. And it's thought that the population of Jerusalem would swell to up to 10 times the amount of people, up to one and a half million men, uh, mainly men, but other women would come as well to Jerusalem for the festivals. And all these people are gathered because it's Pentecost. It's time to be in Jerusalem. It's time to celebrate again. And so they've come from all these different places that we read about. And Luke gives us a, an extensive list, doesn't he, of places. And this gift of tongues is for them. It's not for the, for the disciples or for the church. It's for them. It's for them to hear and understand that something different is happening, something new is happening. They were mingling in the temple as they should have been. They were there to offer their, uh, bring their offerings as, was, as I read, read to you in Deuteronomy. And then there's this great disturbance in the temple. You're gathered, and you're like here in church and you're here, and there's a great disturbance, this sound like a violent wind coming. And before you know it, there's this noise. People speaking out the wonders of God as the Holy Spirit came upon the church. And these people who are gathered from all over this, the known world, all these different places, Egypt and Rome and Phrygia and Cappadocia and so on, they're not just hearing the praise of God being spoken out in Aramaic or Hebrew or Greek, which would have been the natural languages. They hear them being spoken out in their own native languages. They hear their native languages, their languages of their homeland, the praises of God being spoken. All these places that these pilgrims had come from. It says, Luke tells us, doesn't he, that they were bewildered, they were amazed. And so they would have been. And they recognize that the people who are speaking out are, are, are peasants from Galilee. How they knew that, we're not told, but it seems likely that even when they were speaking out in Parthian, that their accents gave them away, like my accent gives me away, and your accent gives you away. Whatever language you're speaking, your accent gives you away, doesn't it? And it's probably the same here. These Galileans, they were speaking out in Arabic. And whatever language they used to speak in Phrygia, I, don't, I have no idea. But they were speaking these out, they were 
proclaiming the wonders of God in a clear way. And the people who are there gather, and they can hear this, and they, and they ask that question, what does this mean? What does this mean? It's amazing. It's something supernatural. It's, it's incredible. They knew that these people hadn't been to the Jerusalem School of Languages, didn't they? They knew that. They hadn't all been learning these languages. It was a supernatural thing that happened. That's why they ask, what does this mean? Now, of course, there were the sceptics there who said they've had too much wine. That's a great question. They have too much wine. Why is that there? And you think to yourself, why is that there? And that's there because it gives Peter the opportunity to stand up and say, whoa, hold on a second. No, 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 no. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, guys. We've not been drinking wine. This is something different to that. It gives him the opportunity to address the crowd, doesn't it? Before he preaches the gospel, he shares the truth of God's word uh, with them. And he shares about a well-known prophecy, a prophecy that's found in the book of Joel. Now, Joel's book or prophecy centers on the, the, the day of the Lord, the end times, the great day of the Lord. It's in those words that you, I read to you that, in, that, that's uh, written in, in Acts 2 that come from Joel chapter 2. Five times that, that phrase is there, the great day of the Lord in the book of Joel. He talks about that. He talks about judgment on God's people, people of Israel, but he also talks about the judgment on the nations before the great day of the Lord. And these verses come from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. And perhaps another verse is perhaps as famous as those that we, we know as uh, chapter 2, verse 13, which says, says this, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. So God, in that, in that prophecy, God gives the people the chance to repent of their sin, to come back to him, to turn to him. It's after that little section that starts with rend your heart, that then Joel says this, Verse 28 of Joel 2, 2 says, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all the people. Peter changed that himself to say, instead of saying afterward, he says, in the last days. And the reason he does that, because Peter knew the context of Joel's prophecy. Joel's prophecy was uh, uh, before the great day of the Lord would come, the end of time when when the Messiah, Jesus, would return. But after, God gave everyone the means to rend their heart. So God gave everyone the means to rend their heart. He gave us Jesus Christ. And before the great day of the Lord, this is where that prophecy fits in. Which is why Peter says, in the last days. The last days start at that point. We are in the last days. thought about that in Revelation last year. What Peter says is, between the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ and before he returns, we are in those last days. These are those days now. And that's why he says in the last days. He's, he's speaking out. He's saying to them, look, this is what Joel said was going to happen. God has given you the means to rend your heart through Jesus Christ. And now there's a period where... Quite simply, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have a period now. Because what we, what we note here, don't we, what's quite interesting about this 
is that when Peter got up to speak, he didn't say, this is fulfilled, is he? This is fulfilled what was said through the prophet Joel. That's often what we read in the New Testament. This is what is fulfilled through the prophet Joel. But he says, no, this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. He says that because there's things in that prophecy that are yet to come. Verse 19, I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24, 29 and 30, immediately after the distress of those days, the, di the, the days where blood and fire and blows of smoke, and we've thought about that in Revelation last year, so I'm not going to go over it again, when the, the time is coming to its end and the world is coming to its end, when there'll be all these wondrous signs on the earth of how it's coming to an end. Well, Jesus said, immediately after the, the distress of those days, Jesus said, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So between the birth of the church and before the coming of Jesus, this is that period that Joel was talking about. And through that period runs an unbroken thread. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's an age of faith, an age of belief. It's an age when, and only a time when people can repent of their sin and turn to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Only in that period. When that period ends on the great day of the Lord, that's it. Church is full, as I've said to you before. There's no sort of, you know, last minute sales or anything like that. That's it. When Jesus returns, his church is full. And everyone not in his church is destined for hell. It's a time when you can be saved. It's also the time when the church must witness. That's what Pentecost is, is telling us. What's also important, I think, in the, in the prophecy of Joel is that Joel doesn't mention tongues, does he? Sometimes there's certain wings of the church, as I'm sure many of you know, who get caught up on the manifestation of tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and so on. But Joel doesn't mention that, does he? Joel doesn't mention tongues at all. What he says is that your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. He doesn't say they will prophesy in tongues. He just says they will prophesy. They will speak out. They will declare the word of God. Through the power of God, they will declare the word of God. That's what Joel says. That's what Peter is emphasizing. He's not even talking about the gifts of the spirit. He's talking about this is a time when the church will witness, must witness, will be able to witness through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only the Holy Spirit who helps us witness, really, for Jesus Christ. Gives us the power to do that. And that's what we need to remember as God's people. That's important. Vitally important. Because we wonder, how are we going to witness? How do we get over the fear factor? It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, as we conclude, finish, let's think about this again for ourselves. The Bible makes it clear, first of all, the Bible makes it 100% clear, right, that you can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit in your life. Without having God in your life, you can't be a Christian. When Peter addresses the, uh, preaches the gospel and addresses the crowd and preaches the gospel and says, you'll see this in a couple of weeks' time, the people listen, this crowd that are gathered, listen to what Peter has to say, 
uh, and they say to Peter, brothers, what shall we do? What, what do we do? How do we receive the Holy Spirit as you've received the Holy Spirit? What do we do now? And Pete, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when you repent of your sin and seek forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. You have to have the Holy Spirit to do that. Jesus himself said, didn't he? Very truly, John 3 verse 5, Very truly I tell you, no one, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. No one can enter the kingdom of God. That's why we don't christen babies. That's why we dedicate them. I can't make faith a Christian. Only God can do that by the power of the Spirit. I can't make, I've never made, and I've, you know this, I've never made anybody a Christian, anyone, and nor will you. We will never, I've said this to you before, once before someone asked me how many people I had converted, and I wasn't sure if it was a trick question or what. How many people have I converted? I didn't convert anybody. That was when I was applying to be a missionary. I thought, this must be a trick question. How many people have I converted? I converted no one. God's converted everybody. I might have spoken to people in the power of the Holy Spirit and they've become Christians, but I've never converted a single person. Nor have you. Nor has anybody. Only by God's Spirit can we come into God's kingdom. Paul says, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit comes upon us, can we speak out and declare Jesus our Lord and Saviour. It's only his power that gives us the desire to repent of our sin and to turn to Jesus in faith. And so first things first, has he done that work in your life? Has the Holy Spirit come into your life and done that work? Does he dwell within you? Do you know that for yourself? And I personally, personally believe that you know that if it's happened. You'll be assured of that. You'll be assured that the Holy Spirit himself is working in your life, that he's come upon you, that he dwells within you. You'll know that for yourself. And if that hasn't happened to you, and you know that really, let's just go back to what Joel says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But I have to say to us, and we know this, that even when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we, we, we are saved, we can still quench his influence in, in our lives. Persistent sin grieves the Holy Spirit. If we are persistently sinning against God, then we quench his, his influence in our life because that's what sin does. Paul again says, Ephesians 4, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's, he writes in the church in Thessalonica to say, do not quench the Spirit in chapter 5, verse 19. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't do something that grieves the Holy Spirit because then his influence will be diminished in your life because you let other things in. That's why people say, why do people backslide from, from fellowship? What happened to people who, who say they're Christians and they're not? Well, whether they were saved or not in the first place is another question. But if they were, and we know they were, what happens? Persistent sin happens. 
That's what happens. Why are some Christians utterly ineffective? Because persistent sin in their lives makes them that way. Because like we said last week, we, we tend to follow the feet of those on the wide road instead of going down the narrow road with God. We have to be aware of that. We have to be aware that persistent sin in our life is not grieving the Holy Spirit. But I also have to say to you that even those of us who are desiring to walk with Christ day by day, reading our Bibles, praying, meeting together, having fellowship, regular at church and so on, even all of us, pastors, elders, Sunday school workers, people who work in kids' church, all the different people, all need the Holy Spirit to fill us on a fresh basis. We need that. We need to desire that. And that's clear from Scripture as well. I've already read that to you. The church met together on Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came and baptised them all. All of them. Now we don't know how far we get in time, but we only have to turn over a few pages chapter 4, verse 31, I've already read this verse to you, where they're meeting together, the believers are meeting together and praying. And it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, well, hadn't they been filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? Yeah, they had. But they were filled again. They needed that fresh outpouring of God's Spirit in their lives. Things had happened in that intervening period. You know, they'd, they'd, the people had come into the church, new people coming into the church, but then there'd been problems. Peter and John were arrested. And there'd been agony and different things that happened. And there'd no doubt been problems in the church, just like there is in all churches, because we're all sinners saved by grace. And God pours out his spirit again. That's why Paul writes this in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, he says. That's the reasoning behind the words of Jesus in John chapter 7, where he says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Jesus is saying, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Whether that's for the first time or the 10,000th time or whatever, millionth time, whatever. Keep on coming to be filled. Come to me if you're thirsty, Jesus says. If you need the power of the Spirit in your life, come to me. The psalmist writes, doesn't he? Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, God. You pant for God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? The living God comes upon us by his Spirit. Where can I go and meet with God? Well, I meet with God now, because he comes within me by his Spirit. But my soul needs to pant for him, to thirst for him. That's what Jesus is saying to us. To call out for God for a fresh outpouring of his Spirit. Sometimes we feel jaded. Let's all hold our hands up and say, sometimes spiritually we feel jaded. Reading the Word can be hard work. Praying can be hard work. Even coming to church can be hard work. We feel sort of ah, down and spiritually pushed down. It happens to us all in our Christian lives. Well, it might not happen to you. You might be one of those 
spiritual superheroes that's never happened to, and if you're that person, hallelujah and praise the Lord. But I can't say that. I can't say that the day I became a Christian on, on January the 1st, 1984, that it's been like, like that all the way. It's just been all uphill, been brilliant. Got, yeah, and I got to a plateau and I'm across, like that. It's a journey that goes up and it comes down and goes up and comes down and so on. But it does for me, maybe not for you. But when I'm down, and I know that the Holy Spirit's influence in my life is not as powerful as it should be, what do I do? Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Come to me. There he is. He's doling out the Holy, Holy Spirit just as much as you need him to come into your lives. And that's what we need daily. We need that day to day to live our lives for Jesus. To be those witnesses that the church were meant to be, to go and make disciples that Johnny talked about the other week. We need the Holy Spirit within us. We can't do anything without him. You try and function as a Christian and witness without the Holy Spirit. That's, well, it's impossible. It's only through him that we can overcome the fear factor. Now, we all have the fear factor at times. Maybe not all the time, but sometimes we all have that fear factor. But to be the witnesses that Jesus told us to be, we, have to, we need his spirit in our lives. So brothers and sisters, this is what we need to do. Call out to God. Ask him. Don't be afraid to do that. You don't have to ask your husband or your wife. You don't have to ask your pastor or an elder. You don't have to ask anybody. I don't know who that was, but someone came in and went out again. Um, you don't need to ask anybody. You just need to ask the Lord. You don't need to be embarrassed about it. You don't have to go to somebody and say, oh, I'm really feeling bad because I can feel that the Holy Spirit's influence in my life is, is not what it was. Uh, can you help me with this? I know I'm a bit embarrassed. I know I'm probably the worst Christian you've ever met in your life, but you don't need to do that. You just turn to God and say, God, I know. In my life, I know. I need more of your spirit in my life. Fill me like you did, or like you have done, like you did with the, the, the disciples. Do that for me, Lord. And the power will come upon you. You'll know that in your life. That's what Pentecost teaches us. I hope it teaches you that uh, this morning. Think about that as you go into the rest of your week. As you go out to be witnesses for him, think about the need for the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Let's pray as we close. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this come to you now, Lord. Lord, I know in my life that there's times when you just need that fresh outpouring of your Spirit in my life, Lord. And if there's people here this morning who feel the same, I pray, Lord, that they would have the boldness, Lord, just to come before your throne of grace and to seek you and to ask you. Lord, you said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. Lord, and there's times in our lives, I'm sure with all of us, when we are thirsty. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn from this. Lord, we see that when your Spirit came upon your people and in Scripture, that they were so bold. They declared the wonders of who you are. They spoke out. They preached the gospel. They were willing to do anything for you, willing to die for you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you give us that same power. Lord, we need that power in our lives. I need that power in my life. And I pray, Lord, now, Lord, that you just come upon us by your Spirit, Lord. I thank you that we can gather together in this place. And we know that you are here. 
because we're your church gathered in one place. I pray, Lord, that you'd fill us and you would use us. Lord, help us to be the witnesses that we need to be. Lord, wherever it is we go, today, during the week, Lord, whatever it is we do, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to give us the power to witness for you. I thank you for your church, Lord. I thank you for the day. I thank you for faith again, Lord. I just pray for her, Lord, as she grows up, Lord. I pray, Lord, that she would learn more and more about you. And again, we pray, Lord, for her young life, Lord, that she would give her life to you, uh, to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as her saviour one day. And Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord, older than that, and they don't know Jesus as their saviour today, I pray, Lord, that you speak to their hearts, challenge them and encourage them by your spirit to come into your kingdom. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.